Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. Today's scripture comes from John 7 and John 8. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters, and Jesus' brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers didn't believe him. Jesus replied, Now is not the right time for me to go, but you can go anytime. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. You go on. I'm not going to this festival because my time has not yet come. After saying these things, Jesus remained in Galilee. But after his brothers left for the festival, Jesus also went, though secretly, staying out of public view. The Jewish leaders tried to find him at the festival and kept asking if anyone had seen him. There was a lot of grumbling about him among the crowds. Some argued, he's a good man, but others said, he's nothing but a fraud who deceives the people. But no one had the courage to speak favorably about him in public, for they were afraid of getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders. Then midway through the festival, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. I had the chance to travel to Liberia in 2012. The year before I traveled, I heard of some colleagues who went before me about their time at Ganta Mission Station, which is near the Guinea border, where you as a congregation support many people with things like scholarships. Their electricity is only functional for a small portion of the day because it's powered by gas generators and gas, petroleum-based fuels are a fairly limited resource in that area, so it has to be preserved. So in the evening, once the lights are out, the lights are really out. Unless you have a full moon with a clear sky, it is pitch black. And there was just a very little light that was shining in the night of this story I heard. This colleague of mine was in his bed, surrounded by his bed net to keep out the malaria-carrying mosquitoes. And that's when he saw something probably about the size of a fist, just a dark spot somewhere on his bed net. He whispered to his colleagues, sharing the dormitory space with him, to please get a flashlight and slowly shine it on whatever was causing that shadowy spot on his net. And as the light of the flashlight reached that dark object, it became quickly obvious that inside his bed net, helping to control the mosquito population, was a really large spider. 
Now, if this were me in that situation, I'm praying for the imminent return of Jesus and probably trying not to wet myself and have a heart attack while looking outwardly like I'm simply paralyzed for the immediate removal of blood from my body. But one of the guys in the room asked, is that a spider? To which the man in that bed net said, yes, now please send it back to hell from whence it came. And I apologize for the terminology because I know you don't have to use from before whence. It's redundant. I'll be honest, I'm not sure that I would have been better knowing that that spider was there and having it executed or just trying to remain blissfully ignorant while trying to ignore whatever that dark shadow on my bed is and sleeping through the uncertainty. Perhaps the dark would have been my friend in that case. But honestly, even in just hearing that story, when I was in that same dormitory a year later, I had my flashlight with me in my bed and checked that net several times before turning in for the night. And I still don't think I slept much while I was in Ganta, mostly because of that horrible story and partly because the darkness in that place didn't make me feel more comfortable. When my environment is unfamiliar and perhaps a little scary, that's when I most need a bit of light. We're about to hear Jesus make another I am declaration. The I am part is repeated throughout the Gospel of John to help listeners and readers make the connection between the I am God of the Hebrew people and Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The setting for this introduction is, of course, important to the imagery that Jesus uses. That leads to our first lesson this morning, that is Christian faith is a lifelong journey. Christian faith is a lifelong journey. Soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters, and Jesus' brother said to him, Let's leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. The season of Lent is a 40-day journey preparing us for Easter, and that doesn't include the Sundays because every Sunday is a little taste of Easter when we get to experience the joy of resurrection. A lot of times we get to choose if we're giving up something for Lent, and we get to choose what that something is. This year, it seems, we're giving up a lot of things as a part of our spiritual pilgrimage towards the empty tomb. And I promise you, if you look at it this way, this whole self-quarantining experience will feel a little bit better. We're going to give up everything we're looking forward to anyhow, right? I know having children at home for a couple of weeks will definitely help me call upon Jesus more frequently. And so we're off to a great start for this spiritual pilgrimage. This trip that the liberated Hebrew slaves took from Egypt to the Red Sea and into the Promised Land should have only been something like an 11-day walk. 11 days. That's still a hike, but when you've got the Promised Land right there, that all seems doable. So if it was only about an 11-day walk, how in the world did this turn into a 40-year wilderness desert excursion? God lengthened the journey and used the time in the desert as a purifying process. We've talked before about how God was not only removing his people from slavery, but removing slavery from his people. Their minds had to be renewed, and a generation would pass before the Israelites could enter into the land of God's covenant. And as the journey was underway, God instituted festivals for his people. One was known as the Festival of Shelters, the Festival of Booths, and the Festival of Tabernacles. Here's how some of that was put into play, and this is Leviticus 23. Remember that this seven-day festival to the Lord, the Festival of Shelters, 
begins on the 15th day of the appointed month, after you've harvested all the produce of the land. The first day and the eighth day of the festival will be of complete rest. On the first day, gather branches from magnificent trees, palm fronds, boughs from leafy trees, and willows that grow by the streams. Then celebrate with joy before the Lord your God for seven days. You must observe this festival to the Lord for seven days every year. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed in the appointed month from generation to generation. For seven days, you must live outside in little shelters. All native-born Israelites must live in these shelters. This is to remind each new generation of Israelites that I made their ancestors live in shelters when I rescued them from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So basically, the Hebrew people had to come together and camp out for a week. It was a time to remember what God had done for them as they were being led through the wilderness through those 40 years. It wasn't the most direct route. It certainly wasn't efficient. Please understand that. God did not take his beloved people on the fastest and most efficient route to arrive at their destination. There was glorious purpose in their journey. And God led them on the route that caused the Hebrew people to rely upon their liberating God. See how God did that in Deuteronomy chapter 1. The Lord God is going ahead of you, they heard. He will fight for you just as you saw him do in Egypt. And you saw how the Lord your God cared for you all along the way as you traveled through the wilderness, just as a father cares for his child. Now he has brought you to this place. But even after all he did, you refused to trust the Lord your God, who goes before you, looking for the best places to camp, guiding you with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. God would lead his people to stopping places, but until they arrived in the promised land, these weren't staying places. The people had to be attentive to the presence of God that was shown to them through the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. The author of the book that inspires this series spends a fair amount of time looking at the difference between stopping places and staying places. The pillar of God's presence took people to a lot of stopping places, and they'd set up camp, and they were probably really tempted to make these into permanent dwellings. If there's a water source, a hint of a steady access to food, I could see a number of people thinking, yep, this is the spot. Why don't we just park it here from now on? Well, it's because the pillar was going to move on. That's why. The pillar, the manna, the quail, the community, the presence of God was going to move on. A lot changes when the light moves on ahead and we're content to stay where we are, where we're more comfortable. And maybe sometimes in life we end up staying in places where God just wanted us to stop for a little while. How do we find the strength to keep on following, chasing, and pursuing the light as it moves. That leads to our second lesson. Jesus embodies courage through difficult paths. Jesus embodies courage through difficult paths. Midway through the festival, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. Have you ever walked into a space where your very presence just draws heat from people? You enter into a room and people look at you like the kid who, even though nothing has been mentioned at this point, asks if there's going to be any homework for the weekend at the end of class? Jesus drew slightly more heat than that. In fact, there are a lot of instances where Jesus knew full well that he wouldn't be well-received and maybe even he would be threatened with violence, but he chose to enter into that perilous situation anyhow. 
when he sat in Nazareth and nearly got thrown off a cliff because people didn't like that he basically called them faithless. When he stood on the steps of the temple to teach to the massive crowd gathered in Jerusalem for this festival, he knew that his presence was going to draw heat. He was famous and infamous, maybe to others, and he chose to stand and teach anyhow. Then as the time of his crucifixion drew nearer, we read how Jesus resolved to journey to the place of his execution and set his face towards Jerusalem. In scary times, Jesus moved with courage. He knew his faithful pathway and walked in it with conviction. I'd like to imagine that some of that was easy for him since Jesus was assured by his heavenly Father that he would overcome death and rise again victorious over the grave. Even still, that didn't make the journey of arrest, trial, torture, and execution any more pleasant. Because he knew where he was heading, he was able to endure the hardship of the pathway. That's part of the key for how we endure difficult pathways. In Hebrews chapter 12, we read how we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, who is the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And because of the joy awaiting him, Jesus endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he's seated in a place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, we read. And then you won't become weary and give up. I think it's fair to say that we are currently, as a nation, as a world, in a relatively unknown and difficult pathway right now. We've seen a little bit of the effects of a pandemic hit in other places around the world and in other places in our nation. We've been relatively insulated from it so far. But I've encountered reactions from perspectives as broad as, it's about as harmful as the vapors, so I'm going to go out and lick door handles, to we're all going to die, I'm buying all the toilet paper. People are grieving what they're going to miss. Travels, shows, visits from loved ones, routines, paychecks. Folks are going to experience not just distancing, but seclusion and loneliness. And in this season, that can be staggering. We're in the throes of a pretty hefty political rivalry, both within and between political parties in our nation. I think it's fair to say that we are in some relatively uncertain territory, and it can appear to us to be pretty dark. That takes us to our third lesson. Jesus gives light to lead our faithful steps. Jesus gives light to lead our faithful steps. Chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Before Jesus arrived on the scene, the scripture says he told his brothers that he was hated by the world, that he was resented because... The embodiment of his perfect love in this world can't help but bring to our attention how infrequently our lives measure up. When we're convicted of this disparity, there's humility and there's repentance. If there's not, well, there's anger, maybe even hatred. In his famous sermon, Loving Your Enemies, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King was speaking on Jesus' call to love in the face of hatred. He proclaimed, returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. This is precisely what Jesus embodies for us. When our wounded nature rebels against the love of God and lives in darkness and fear and pride and selfishness, 
we stay stuck in our hurt, and we have an awfully difficult time finding our way out. It becomes nearly impossible. It's not a coincidence that Jesus proclaimed himself to be a guiding light on the teaching steps of the temple during the Festival of Shelters. It was a place filled with folks who were probably lost along the way, who maybe were stuck and finding it impossible to move on. But Jesus didn't leave people there. He showed up and told them, look, you may not feel free today. You may be staying in a pretty dark place, but listen. If you follow me, we'll walk into hope and joy and life and light. I'm going to take you on an incredible journey with many important stops along the way. And in the end, I promise you'll stay with me forever. Is he saying that to you? Do you feel free today? Are you stuck in a dark place? Maybe Jesus is inviting us to listen. That if we seek Jesus with our whole heart today, he'll lead us on this incredible journey into joy and hope and light and life. It's a purposeful trip that has on it many incredible stops, but in the end, Christ promises to be with us forever. The light of the world calls us to follow. Let's follow the light. Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord, thank you that in difficult times, in uncertainty, when we find it difficult to navigate, we have a grace, a power, an assurance, a light to guide our way. God, we pray that you would fill us to overflowing with love, that you would not allow our anxieties to win, and yet that you would still call us to be wise giving care and protection for those who are vulnerable. And Lord, we pray in this time that we would know your presence, that where we are now, it may be a stopping place for a little bit, but this is not a staying place. There is light that's moving on ahead of us. We thank you. We praise you. We offer all of this to you in the powerful name of Christ our Lord. Amen.